Good evening, comrades and friends. Tonight's class, the People's School for Marxist Leonard Studies, is happy to have the chairperson of Women for Racial Economic Equality. She's going to be speaking on Lenin and the woman's question. It's a fascinating, more fascinating than I ever thought. All my years in the communist movement, I never had a chance to really read anything on this, and I read it for tonight's class, and I was flabbergasted, if you know what that word means. They don't use that anymore. I was flabbergasted by Lenin's uh, talking about the young people of his time, and uh, I, I didn't realize that he. it's like it could have been written by us now, the questions of the young people of his time and attitudes and on different social subjects. And I didn't know any of this until I read this tonight. This discourse between Clara Zetkin, who was with the Communist Party in Germany, and Lenin speaking for about what they were doing in the Soviet Union. It's just fascinating. It's called The Emancipation of Women from the Writings of V.I. Lenin. Okay, we're going to start now. Karen, thank you very much. You have the floor. Okay. Thank you. This is important, and it's so interesting what we did divided it, and I will be talking as Clara Zetkin, even though she talks very little, but and will be talking as Lenin. To start with, I wanted to introduce Clara Zetkin, although Angelo made five of the six points that I was going to make in my introduction to her. She was a German born in the late 1850s, she was a social democrat until the late 19-teens when she joined the Communist Party. And she represented the Communist Party in the Reichstag, which is the German parliament from 1920, until when she died in 1933, just about the same time that Hitler was elected to be the chancellor of the Reichstag. The piece today is more about questions having to do with women's questions, etc., and the second part, maybe it's a subtle difference, having to do with the Communist Party and women's role in the Communist Party and how the Communist Party needs to be organized. With that, we're ready to begin. Lenin on the women's question. Comrade Lenin frequently spoke to me about the women's question. Social equality for women was, of course, a principle needing no discussion for harmony. It was in Lenin's large study in the Kremlin in the autumn of 1920 that we had our first long conversation on the subject. So I will be reading Lenin's part. Now I'm Lenin. We must create a powerful international women's movement on a clear theoretical basis, Lenin began. There is no good practice without Marxist theory. That is clear. Greatest clarity of principle is necessary for us communists in this question. There must be a sharp distinction between ourselves and all other parties. Unfortunately, our Second World Congress did not deal with this question. It was brought forward, but no decision arrived at. The matter is still in commission, which should draw up a resolution, theses, directions. Up to the present, however, they haven't gotten very far. You will have to help. I was already acquainted with what Lenin said and expressed my astonishment at the state of affairs. 
I was filled with enthusiasm about the work done by Russian women in the revolution and still being done by them in its defense and further development. And as for the position and activities of women comrades in the Bolshevik party, that seemed to me a model party. It alone formed an international communist women's movement of useful, trained, and experienced forces and historical example. Movement of working women. That is right. That is all very true and fine, said Lenin with a quiet smile. In Petrograd, here in Moscow, in other towns and industrial centers, the women workers acted splendidly during the revolution. Without them, we should not have been victorious, or scarcely so. That is my opinion. How brave they were, how brave they still are. Think of all the suffering and deprivation they bore. And they are carrying on because they want freedom, want communism. Yes, our proletarian women are excellent class fighters. They deserve admiration and love. Besides, you must remember that even the ladies of the, quote, constitutional democracy in Petrograd proved more courageous against us than did the Junkers. That is true. We have in the party reliable, capable, and untiringly active women comrades. We can assign them to many important posts in the Soviet and executive committees, in the people's commissariats, and public services of every kind. Many of them work day and night in the party or among the masses of proletariat, the peasants, the Red Army. That is of very great value to us. It is also important for women all over the world. It shows the capacity of women, the great value their work has in society. The first proletarian dictatorship is a real pioneer in establishing social equality for women. It is clearing away more prejudices than could volumes of feminist literature. But even with all that, we still have no international communist women's movement, and that we must have. We must start at once to create it. Without that, the work of our international and of its parties is not complete work, can never be complete, but our work for the revolution must be complete. Tell me how communist work is going abroad. Questions or comments? Just really briefly, I know our party initially had a lot of men in it, but we also have a lot of women now, and obviously significant others. A lot of the comrades are coming in the party as well. But having been around the world in many other countries with other parties, I just want to tell everybody, like, it's almost as if there's more women in communist parties in, in most countries. So it's very much, it's not like a divided issue, a 50-50 or anything. I mean, it's like between all of us, men and women and, and anyone else. And I really appreciate that we were studying this topic. I find it very interesting. Thank you. Okay, I'm going to bring up something totally different that I read out of this. Stuff that I never knew before and excited me, and I don't want that to go out of tonight's class. All right. My mom told me when she was alive that when she was in her 16, 17, 18, she had gone to, to school, and there were communist women in her class, and they became friends with her. And she told me we knew people in our family who were in the trade union movement who were socialists, part of the Norman Thomas's party. 
the thing they spoke about, many of the young people and the older people, was a term that it's mentioned here in this document. And it was the term called free love. And I want to bring that up because it's very important. This was what they thought of communists during the time of my mother's youth in the 30s. They thought of them as people who had sex with anybody that they wanted to. It was that men and women did not belong to each other. This was the position, the line, which came right out of the origin of the family. And there was a lot of sexual, let's call the word looseness. Let me use that word during that period of time. Now, my mom, when I, I always remembered it, even to the day she passed away at 89 years old. She remembered this. And she thought it was interesting that in the 60s, she saw the same thing in society, things like the concerts at Woodstock, et cetera, et cetera. Sexual mores were very loose, and mainly by young people, mainly. Now, the reason why I'm bringing this up is because I see that the world really hasn't changed that much during the time of Lenin and during the time of the 60s. And I don't know what's going on with young people today. I really don't know. But in the 60s, I was actively involved in the youth movement. And there was the similarities between that period and my mom's early youth, the period of free love. The reason why I'm bringing this up, because in the left, the issue of prostitution is very heavily involved in the first three pages of this document. I don't want that to go past this because there are different views in the left today. And after reading this, I thought Lenin's view was old-fashioned. I don't believe that anymore because the things he was complaining about is the things I have seen the older people and today complain about. So the younger right. people always played a different role in society. And this thing with prostitutes is very interesting because he mentions here, which I had mentioned before, when you're thirsty, you don't go into the gutter to drink. He, there's a quote there that right. has become famous in the communist yeah. movement. But now I see that quote in its context. There's a whole yeah. context of that quote, which I okay. didn't know before. Lenin listened attentively, his body inclined, forwarded slightly, following without a trace of boredom impatience or weariness, even incidental matters. Not bad, not bad at all, said Lenin. The energy, willingness, and enthusiasm of women comrades, their courage and wisdom in times of illegality or semi-legality indicate good prospects for the development of our work. They are valuable factors in extending the party and increasing its strength, in winning the masses and carrying on our activities. But what about the training and clarity of principle of these men and women comrades? It is of fundamental importance for work among the masses. It is of great influence on what mostly concerns the masses. How they won, how made it enthusiastic. I forget for the moment who said, one must be enthusiastic to accomplish great things. We and the toilers of the whole world have really great things to accomplish. So what makes your comrades the proletarian women of Germany, enthusiastic. What about proletarian class consciousness? Are their interests, their activities concentrated on immediate political demands? What is the mainspring of their ideas? I have heard some peculiar things on this matter, 
from Russian and German comrades. I must tell you, I was told that a talented woman communist in Hamburg is publishing a paper for prostitutes and that she wants to organize them for the revolutionary fight. Rosa acted and felt as a communist when in an article she championed the cause of the prostitutes who were imprisoned for any transgression of police regulations in carrying on their dreary trade. They are, unfortunately, doubly sacrificed by bourgeois society, first by its accursed property system and secondly by its accursed moral hypocrisy. This is obvious. Only he who is brutal or short-sighted can forget it. But still, that is not all the same thing as considering prostitutes. How shall I put it to be a special revolutionary militant section as organizing them and publishing a factory paper for them? Aren't there really any other working women in Germany to organize for whom a paper can be issued who must be drawn into your struggles? The other is only a diseased excrescence. It reminds me of the literary fashion painting every prostitute as a sweet Madonna. The origin of that was healthy, too. Social sympathy, rebellion against the virtuous hypocrisy of the respectable bourgeois. But the healthy part became corrupted and degenerate. Besides, the question of prostitutes will give rise to many serious problems here. Take them back to productive work. Bring them into the social economy. That is what we must do. But it is difficult and a complicated task to carry out in the present conditions of our economic life and in all the prevailing circumstances. There you have one aspect of the women's problem, which, after the seizure of power by the proletariat, looms large before us and demands a practical solution. It will give us a great deal of work here in Soviet Russia. But to go back to your position in Germany, the party must not, in any circumstances, calmly stand by and watch such mischievous conduct on the part of its members. It creates confusion and divides the forces. And you yourself, what have you done against it? Questions and comments? I think, uh, in my opinion, Karl Marx and Frederick Engels and Lenin were consistently into like one wife relationship to the rest of their lives. That's why Karl Marx was very bitterly critical of bourgeois families, bourgeois weddings, you know, the relationship between a bourgeois husband and a bourgeois wife. He consistently indicated that in England, they were seducing each other's wives and they were decadent, sexually decadent. They did not observe the one man and one woman relationship if, even after weddings. So Lenin was also continued to criticize that, and he indicated that the proletarian forces were not decadent. They always observed and respected their marriage, and they always consistently got stuck with their wives. So I think Lenin also indicated that the Communist Party members must only have one wife. That's it. Outside of that, you don't fool around. That would be prostitution. That would be bourgeois decadence. So I think for when it comes to relationships, the Communist Party, Communist members must have qualitative change, qualitative relationships, because those are decadent. The decadent bourgeoisie seduce each other's wives. We have to stay away from that. We have to stick to one wife only. That's it. I wanted to make a comment. When Marxism came to power, 
so many bourgeois countries were saying that they want to share women. Marxism means sharing women, all men. So the issue of sharing and communism, they were putting it in their own mentality of bourgeois as property. Now everybody shares property in communist system, including women. This was the mentality of bourgeoisie that was propagating against communism. Thanks. Just that question, did they keep the percentage of how many women were in the party, say, in the early USSR? Was it 20%, 50%? Oh, in Soviet, Soviet Union. So I believe it was between 1920s and the early 1930s. So in the 1920s, they went from having roughly 40,000 women, and in the 1930s, maybe 1931, 32, they went all the way up to having half a million. So once the women of the Soviet Union saw that they were being emancipated, they joined in great numbers. So I know towards the early beginnings of the 1930s, they had half a million. Okay, thanks. When it comes down to this particular topic, my Specific views are very in line with a lot of Marxist Leninism of uh, this current day. I believe when it comes down to the subject of prostitutes, prostitutes are a badly exploited group of working class people who are forced into their specific position mostly due to the coercion of natural society because a lot of people who are in this field of work are mostly coerced into selling themselves as a means of survival. It's why when it comes down to a lot of Marxist Leninists, they support prostitutes as a group of exploited workers, but the sex industry specifically we are against because it's a ruthless industry that uses women almost as commodities to basically sell a part of themselves physically for survival. It's wage enslavement in a more extreme form. The subject of decadence, I don't agree with. And the subject of monogamy over polyamory, I don't agree with. I believe when it comes down to it, everyone is free in their private lives to do everything that is legal and ethical. And the subject of decadence dominantly stems from right-wing philosophers. That's why the fascists have adopted it in the form of degeneracy. I thought it was interesting where Lenin goes into this whole question of Clara has discussions with him in the beginning about sexuality, sex, women talking about these things in Germany. And Lenin's answer to that I thought was interesting. He said, your list of sins, Clara, is longer. I was told that the questions of sex and marriage are the main subject, the main subject. Why don't we move on now? Before I could answer, Lenin continued. Your list of sins, Clara, is still longer. I was told that questions of sex and marriage are the main subjects dealt with in the reading and discussion evenings of women comrades. They are the chief subject of interest of political instruction and education. I could scarcely believe my ears when I heard it. The first country of proletarian dictatorship, surrounded by the counter-revolutionaries of the whole world, the situation in Germany itself requires the greatest possible concentration of all proletarian 
revolutionary forces to defeat the ever-growing and ever-increasing counter-revolution. But working women, comrades, discuss sexual problems and the question of forms of marriage in the past, present, and future. They think it their most important duty to enlighten proletarian women on these subjects. The most widely read brochure is, I believe, pamphlet of a young Viennese woman comrade on the sexual problem. What a waste. What truth there is in it the workers have already read in Bebel long ago, only not so boringly, not so heavily written as in the pamphlet, but written strongly, bitterly, aggressively against the bourgeois society. The extension of Freudian hypotheses seems, quote, educated, even scientific, but it is ignorant, bungling. Freudian theory is the modern fashion. I mistrust the sexual theories of the articles, dissertations, and pamphlets, etc. In short, that of, of that particular kind of literature, which flourishes luxuriantly in the dirty soil of bourgeois society. I mistrust those who are always contemplating the several questions, like the Indian saint, his navel. It seems to me that these flourishing sexual theories, which are mainly hypothetical and often quite arbitrary hypotheses, arise from the personal need to justify personal abnormality or hypertrophy in sexual life before bourgeois morality and to entreat its patience. This masked respect for bourgeois morality seems to me just as repulsive as poking about in sexual matters. However wild and revolutionary the behavior may be, it is still really quite bourgeois. It is mainly a hobby of the intellectuals and of the sections nearest them. There is no place for it in the party, in the class-conscious fighting proletariat. I interrupted here saying that the questions of sex and marriage in a bourgeois society of private property involve many problems, conflicts, and much suffering for women of all social classes and ranks. The war and its consequences had greatly accentuated the conflicts and sufferings of women in sexual matters, had brought to light problems which were formerly hidden from them. To that were added the effects of the revolution. The old world of feeling and thought had begun to totter. Old social ties are entangling and breaking. There are the tendencies toward new ideological relationship between man and woman. The interest shown in these questions is an expression of the need for enlightenment and reorientation. It also indicates a reaction against the falseness and hypocrisy of bourgeois society. Forms of marriage and of the family in their historical development and dependence upon economic life are calculated to destroy the superstition existing in the minds of working women concerning the eternal character of bourgeois society. A critical historical attitude to those problems must lead to a ruthless examination of bourgeois society, to a 
disclosure of its real nature and effect, including condemnation of its sexual morality and falseness. All roads lead to Rome, and every real Marxist analysis of any important section of the ideological superstructure of society of a predominantly social phenomenon must lead to an analysis of bourgeois society and of its property basis must end in the realization this must be destroyed. Lenin nodded laughingly. There you are defending counsel for your women's pads and your party. Of course, what you say is right, but it only excuses the mistakes made in Germany. It does not justify them. They are and remain mistakes. Can you really seriously assure me that the questions of sex and marriage were discussed from the standpoint of a mature, living, historical materialism? Deep and many-sided knowledge is necessary for that. The dearest Marxist mastery of a great amount of material, where can you get the forces for that now? If they existed, then pamphlets like the one I mentioned would not be used as material for study in the reading and discussion circles. They are distributed and recommended instead of being criticized. And what is the result of this futile, unMarxist dealing with the question? What that questions of sex and marriage are understood not as part of the large social question. No, worse, the great social question appears as an adjunct, a part of sexual problems. The main thing becomes a subsidiary matter that not only endangers clarity on that question itself, it muddles the thoughts and class consciousness of proletarian women generally. Last and not least, even the wise Solomon said that everything has its time. I ask you, is now the time to amuse proletarian women with discussions on how one loves and is loved, how one marries and is married? Of course, in the past, present, and future, and among different nations, what is proudly called historical materialism. Now, all the thoughts of women comrades, of the women in the working people, must be directed toward the proletarian revolution. It creates the basis for a real renovation in marriage and sexual relations. At the moment, other problems are more urgent than the marriage forms of Maoris are incest in olden times. The question of the Soviets is still on the agenda for the German proletariat. The Versailles Treaty and its effect on the life of working women, unemployment, falling wages, taxes, and a great deal more. In short, I maintain that this kind of political and social education for proletarian women, it's false, quite, quite false. How could you be silent about it? You must use your authority against it. So that's the end of that section. So I'd like to take questions. I don't have any questions. I have I have a book called The Emancipation of Women that's got this paper in it by Claire Zetkin. So I'm familiar with it. I just don't understand what Lenin's position is. He's mentioned that they went through it three or four times and they never... What was he upset about uh, Zeitgen or what was... I can explain it. Actually, it is very interesting as we read it five, six times. Lenin really compared the bourgeois society and feminism with Marxism. We need to really look at feminism, some feminism 
understand the difference between feminism and Marxism and the difference between bourgeois society and women's role and Marxist-Leninist or communist society and women's role. This is what Lenin emphasizes because in Germany at that time, they were, and bourgeois society, they were looking at prostitution or problem between man and woman rather than the major issue of exploitation and Marx and the whole difference between Marxism and imperialism or bourgeois society. This analyzes, and we need really to read it. It is excellent, excellent analysis and comparison. All right, thank you, Comrade. I just want to add to that, and I'm glad you brought up the term feminism, because all my years in the communist movement, I never heard the word before. I heard the word in 1970 from the petty bourgeois radicals that were not in the communist movement. They came out into the streets, had protest demonstrations, and they used the term feminism. It's the first time I heard it, and I've been in this movement for 50, 50, 60 years. And I never heard that term coming from a communist before. I never heard Stalin, Molotov, Trotsky, Mao. None of them talk about that. So I heard that first. And then I went to the left forum, where there's a lot of anti-communist organizations. And there were groups calling themselves Marxist humanists. Another group calls itself Marxist feminists. And I began to see groups who were trying to join together two ideas that were never joined together before. So I find this whole thing a learning experience for me. And I found this a learning experience just reading this. So the thing about when it comes down to it, feminism as an entity in itself, I'm not against. I'm very much in favor of. Feminism, I don't see as a lot of people have been claiming it as. People are looking at feminism as if it's this kind of subject that is inherently bourgeois, as fundamentally wrong. There is multiple schools of thought in feminism, as there is with communism and just leftism in general. But there is a school of thought called Marxist feminism or proletarian feminism, as was told to Angelo before by a comrade of ours. The subject of feminism itself has been, as many organizations, as many movements are, dominantly co-opted and taken over by liberals and the bourgeoisie. But feminism as an entity does have a lot of areas in which where it has Marxist feminists, proletarian feminists in charge. Some of the first and second wave feminism had was kind of dominantly started in some areas by these kind of proletarian feminists but they were outshined and pushed into the back by bourgeois feminists who overtook the movement, as was the case with a lot of movements such as Black Lives Matter and Occupy and others. Thank you. I think we have to realize this is also a historical time. In the last century or two, there's been a lot of victories, even in bourgeois society with women and equality. Of course, the struggle still goes on. 
But there's 70 years of socialism that was practiced, and things are different, say, in the 60s, not just because of Khrushchev, but also the amount of social production that was offered to people at the time. So we're talking about different conditions also. There's a lot to think about. So I'm trying to say it's not so open and closed. That Thank you. A couple of things. One is that the issue came up about, for me, that they began this discussion, but Clara was surprised that the women's question had never been gone further than the commission stage. And it hadn't actually been debated at the party congress. So what he was saying is that it needs to be debated and developed. And I think that's our case here. We haven't really, uh, on the women's question, we haven't talked about anything about it. And so it would be really helpful if we could use this as a basis for writing a paper on the women's question from the women's commission. And also question of how Marxism and feminism are not the same thing. They're very different. And when we had a feminist movement in the United States, it was mostly white privileged women who were leading that struggle. It didn't impact the women of color and it didn't impact the poor people too much. So there was like this it was a class thing, and I think Lenin was frustrated by that in his day. I think he saw the same thing. There were women who were able to express themselves, and then there were the other working-class women who were not, and it's the same situation today. I know that Karl Marx mentioned lumpen proletariat, and does this dialogue sort of extend the idea that prostitutes are part of lumpen proletariat? And then the second one is, that does the activity of prostitution, which clear as lump and proletariat class, is versus the class-conscious prostitute, is this such a thing? Is that if it's actually a feminist expression, do I have a class-conscious prostitute or, you know, someone's involved in that activity? What I was going to say was in regards to what Comrade was saying, and in which they were saying about how it was dominantly these are a privileged, dominantly white women who dominated the feminist movement. That was kind of in relation to what I was saying. A lot of the problems with these uh, feminist movements is that they have been completely overtaken by the, the petty bourgeois liberals and the, uh, the bourgeoisie movements. They were taken over. Even when they started out of the working class base, they were dominantly taken over and swayed off of their uh, radical course, their politics were blunted down, as was the case with many uh, movements and many figures. There is quite a good number of Marxist feminists who are of oppressed nationalities and so on, but they are dominantly suppressed because of their radical politics. That's kind of the problem. In regards to what I think it was, was saying about lumpen proletariat, I would not view pro- prostitutes as lumpen proletariat. I would view them more as coerced workers. When it comes down to it, lumpen proletariats are more in line of the type of people who have no real revolutionary interest. Prostitutes, if you talk to them long enough, because trust me, a lot of communists have, 
they can get revolutionary interest very firmly if you just be able to talk to them and raise class consciousness because a lot of prostitutes do not want to be in the position that they're in, but they have to because they can't, for a number of reasons, they can't find work, the work that they do doesn't pay them enough, things like that. Okay, thank yeah, you. Yeah, but uh, their their activity defines them as prostitutes. Once, once they stop the activity, they reach their class consciousness. I just want to give a short response. I understand that when it comes down to it, it defines what they are, but there's also the fundamental fact that I think a lot of us really need to keep in mind. Just because it was highlighted back in that time doesn't mean that that analysis holds any kind of weight to today. Marx, like Lenin, like Stalin, were human. They were prone to mistake. Okay, thank you. And I did like the fact that you brought up comparing it to the situation today. I would always like to have that in the discussion here. Half of it, actually, sexual morality continues on the bourgeois society continues that. And then principles of organization, which is the next part, and immediate demands, and what about the men? We will, we will do it next time. And I think that when I said that feminism and Marxism differ, Lenin is going to mention that, and it's not that criticizes feminism. We ought to understand that we should not, as communists, leave the important and big issue and pick up the side issue, which is feminism, and feminism would be resolved automatically when Marxism and Leninism works out its way. Okay, we're going to have to adjourn at this meeting now. Thank you all.